Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Real Estate Student Podcast, uh, hosted by the Real Estate Student Association um, out of the University of Calgary under the Westman Center for Real Estate Studies. Uh, my name is Joey Stensland. I'm the VP of Mentorship for the Real Estate Student Club, and I am joined with my co-host, Francesca Robert. Hello. Francesca, if you want to say hello. Hello, hello. It is a great privilege to have Al-Kareem Devani join us, real estate entrepreneur. Uh, thank you so much, Al-Kareem, for, for being here on this on this fine Friday afternoon. Um, if you want to, if you want to int- introduce yourself and kind of give us a background on uh, on who you are and how you started it, started in real estate and as an entrepreneur. Cool. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me, Joey and Francesca. Obviously, I'm a I'm a UFC alumni uh, from Haskane, and so uh, an opportunity to kind of come back and hopefully, you know, be able to provide my experiences and insight is is always fun. And I always look forward to kind of chatting with students about, you know, change proposition and what the future might look like. So uh, thank you for having me. It means a lot to be able to do this. Um, Yeah. So as you said, my name is Al-Karim Devaney. I'm uh, I'm one of the co-founders of a company called Brand Square and recently of a new prop tech company called Chroma. I'm a born and raised Calgarian. I've lived here uh, my entire life. And so I haven't lived anywhere else, but I've lived in almost every quadrant of the city. Um, And, you know, my real estate journey career kind of started pretty early. Um, When I was uh, graduating high school, my brother had become a realtor and he was like, why don't you get your real estate license? And so uh, prior to kind of going into UC that summer, I went and got my real estate license uh, and that was right out of high school. And then I started uh, in September at the UC. And while I was at the UC, I was, you know, I wasn't going to be a successful realtor. Obviously, I realized that because I was a full time student. But I noticed that like a lot of realtors hated sitting open houses. And so um, my brother's like, why don't you figure out a way to just like sit open houses for people? Because I was sitting open houses for them. And honestly, I never sold anything uh, in five years. But what I did do is I started to get paid. Uh, to sit open houses. And I was getting paid under the table. uh, And I don't know if I should publicly say that, but I was. And so it was pretty sweet because uh, I was getting cash for sitting open houses and they were never really that busy. But one thing I quickly learned was like, I got to see what houses were selling for, had to quickly learn how many bedrooms they had, what the locations were. You know, you have to drive to every like, like I basically took open houses where no one wanted to go. And so, you know, I'm all of a sudden in Douglasdale and then I'm in Tuscany and then I'm in Royal Oak. And like, you're starting to get really familiar with the city. You're starting to drive all these roads and really start to understand like, oh, this place is 379 and that place is 479 and this place has three bedrooms. And so it like, you know, I didn't realize all the information that I was internalizing, but I was, and it, and it was super cool because it really gave me an understanding of kind of the marketplace, what was happening in Calgary. I got to see kind of like, um, the boom kind of in the early 2000s when we saw condos like fly off the market and people were like subscribing on wait lists. And, you know, I saw friends make a ton of money with like putting barely anything down. I don't know, you guys are probably way too young, but like I had friends who were buying condos for like 175 in like the vitro building and they put 5% down, which was like, you know, whatever, 10 grand. And then they were selling it at completion for like 279. I'm like, you, you basically made a 10 time full return on your money because they never actually had to close on those places. And so, you know, I saw that. And then I also saw like when things went sideways and, and, you know, and at that time I was lucky enough, I would say now to get in. And I started buying after, cause I just didn't have the capacity to buy that early on. And so I actually bought, you know, at the height of the boom in some of the most awful areas 
awful to me, great, I'm sure to some people, but, you know, really far away. And, and I still own those properties today as kind of a lesson about being more thoughtful about where you buy. And so that's kind of how I, I got into real estate. Uh, when I graduated from the UFC, um, originally, like I wanted to be a lawyer. And so uh, I was really keen on going to law school after business school, but I just like, I was kind of burnt out. Like it was five years and um, no one from my family had kind of a post-secondary education. And so that was one of the main reasons why I wanted to go to school was because my family hadn't, but my family was like always entrepreneurs, including my mom. My, you know, my dad probably was the only one that wasn't, uh, but my mom was super entrepreneurial. My brothers were super uh, like hustling all the time. And so I was kind of just like sitting on the sidelines feeling like I, I can't, I can't go and do another four years. And so you know, um, graduated. Um, I don't even remember the year. I want to say maybe 05, I think it was. And I wanted to like pay for my, my education. So I went and got a job at CP rail and, uh, I was a customer service rep or something like that. And, uh, I went through the two week training program and I was just like, I I can't do this. Like I got to be doing something that's like, you know, more lively every day. And so I felt bad because, you know, when I told them that I wasn't going to continue, they told me that the training program cost them like 40 grand to implement or something like that. And I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't, I wish I knew that before. But anyway, so um, didn't, didn't continue my journey with that. And at the time, my brother had started a building company. He was building kind of estate homes in Elbow Valley, Aspen Estates. And uh, I kind of talked to them about, you know, building potentially, you know, in the inner city and closer and cheaper. And so, yeah, we kicked it off, uh, you know, and I did that with them for about 10 years, building single family homes. And that that's kind of how, you know, I've kind of gotten to where I'm at today. So really just a learn, a learn trade and, and, you know, adapting as you go and, and learning skill sets and, and always trying to learn is kind of how I've arrived to where I'm at today. Uh, it's really inspiring to hear your your route that was a little bit more different than a lot of people. Uh, you know, as you said, as, and as you mentioned, you know, you started real estate quite early. Um, in terms of uh, starting quite early and, and such, uh, what would you say were actually some factors that you think helped uh, to achieve your objectives throughout your career? Was there maybe people or was it maybe a certain thing? You did mention also that education played a good part. Um, how do you think it, uh, students can implement uh, implement that as well. Yeah, you know, it's funny, like one of the things I would say that I felt if I could go back, I would probably try to do that a little differently is I was I was fairly disconnected from Haskane, um, primarily because I was super interested into um, like what was happening in the real world. And when I was at Haskane, I didn't really feel like we had the opportunity to have forums like this and speak to people that were doing things in the real world. Like everything was much more analytical. And so I remember taking like accounting 317 and marketing 317. And like, we never had, I don't think I remember one guest speaker like coming in, telling me about a real world experience and how they're taking this skill and kind of applying it. And so I oftentimes, honestly, um, like, and I, and I wasn't, I wasn't a great, um, I wasn't a great learner in the environments, like in terms of taking exams and things like that. I wasn't actually overly proficient. Like it was really difficult for me uh, because my mind wasn't trained in that way. I had a much easier time like in presentations or having discussions or thinking about like leadership or or thought provoking conversations. But when it came to like, how do I dissect information and, and think about it in an analytical way and then also kind of prescribe that. And so 
I, I didn't do a good enough job, I would say, of getting really ingrained into the university environment because I was kind of always had this one foot out the door. And so that one foot out the door led me to kind of really learn real life examples of what things were doing. And I would say one of the things that was cool about it is like, I would do anything. Like there wasn't anything that was above me at that time to support realtors because everything was an opportunity for me to learn. And so it was like, hey, can you make feature sheets? I'm like, what are feature sheets? And they're like, oh, you need to like put pictures. Yeah, I can make feature sheets. Cool. Oh, can you go take photos for us? Yeah, of course I can take photos for you. So went and bought a camera. And then all of a sudden, like I was a guy in the office that was taking the best photos and building these best feature sheets. And so it's like, you don't know those things um, and, and if you do, you don't know how to apply them in the real world. And so I saw this real live example of like how to create revenue for myself while I was still at school. And I would say for me, why school was really important is it taught me discipline. Like I had, you know, I had deadlines. I knew I had to, you know, suffice the teams that I was working with on projects. I knew I had to write exams. I knew that a pat, what a passing grade looked like. And so you develop this sense of rigor that I probably wouldn't have gotten had I not gone through it. And so you know, if, if I could go back, I would have probably tried to learn more of the fundamentals of business and really dig into those and, and understand how to apply them in real world examples. And so I had this opportunity to go work, you know, and keep one foot out the door. And oftentimes, you know, what I, what I remiss is not learning more of the fundamentals. And, um, and now, you know, I read about fundamentals all the time. And so I'm reading about all these guys who, you know, has have had successful startups or, you know, have done things in the past. And, and so, you know, for me, it's always about continuously learning and, and trying to understand how to be better as I kind of move through my journey. Students in, in real estate who are interested in, in studying uh, the real estate market, w- would you recommend starting out, especially while in university um, as a realtor? selling assets, selling real estate, and uh, investing in properties? Um, or, or, or should it be done differently, especially with, with technology and maybe the, the market's flooded with realtors too? Uh, how, do, how do you recommend students get in the game? Yeah, Early. yeah, good question. I mean, I think like where, where I was like 20 years ago or 15 years, I'm, I'm not that old, I don't think I might be, but yeah. Um, you know, I think the real estate game is changing and I think it, it continues to change at quite, quite, quite a impressive pace. And so, you know, I, I think there's enormous opportunities for disruption in this field. I think like the, the people that are going to disrupt it are oftentimes going to be the ones that are coming from outside and are looking through the industry with a different lens or a different perspective that, you know, those that are there don't see it. And so when I think about the real estate industry as a realtor, I think it's, it's kind of ripe. I think it's, we're seeing it already. You know, you think about open door, you think about Zillow, you think about all those things that are changing uh, with how people are transacting in real estate. And so, you know, I, I don't know if real estate today, like maybe 10 years ago, that was the right path, but uh, becoming a realtor today to me is like, for what? Like, what what are you going to get from that whole process or that agency relationship that you can't get on your own by just using the internet and getting access to even more information? And so I think like, you know, if I, if I was to rewind, I don't know if I would have chosen, like at the time, that was the only way that you could trade in real estate. Like there was no real other way of doing things, but today, like there's, there's so many different things that are moving and that are moving at such incredible paces that I would, I would encourage people just to kind of like, definitely learn, like go out and learn about the markets, learn about the opportunities, learn about the core functions and really try to figure out what some of the root problems are. And so if you're interested in real estate, you know, learn about the markets, but then also like, 
you know, start to develop your craft and start to understand like, what are you, what are you best at? So like, if you're, if you're an analytical thinker and you can see through numbers and produce sheets and do things at that pace, like there's so many guys that need that because they're not analytical thinkers. Or if you're exceptional at marketing and like, for, for me, like I said, like nothing was above me. And so like, there's a lot of people who are like, oh yeah, it's like, you, you should have to pay interns and you shouldn't have to work for free, but it's like, dude, like, I'm, I'm extracting value out of those opportunities. Like I'm not here for the 15 bucks an hour. I'm actually here for, for the life lessons and the tools that I'll get to be able to leverage that. So like, for me, I would go reach out to anyone that I thought was inspiring or doing amazing stuff and figure out how I could create value for them and what they're doing. So I can extract the value of what they're doing and then apply that to kind of where I want to grow into. And so that would be my advice is like, find an opportunity where you feel like you can excel and add value uh, and and then start to build your tools. Right now, especially with the COVID and the pandemic, um, how do you think that students might be able to reach out and find opportunities? Do you think that it's become harder or is this kind of a lesson to open up to newer opportunities? What do you think students should do in that case? Yeah, it's, it's funny because like, um, you know, I, I'm working on a new prop tech venture and this whole thing has kind of started, you know, in, in a, in a, post kind of COVID environment. And so the company was formed, you know, right after March, we've hired now, you know, there's 10 of us, we have five software engineers, there's a product manager. And like, I've never met the majority of the team in person ever. So this is kind of our medium. I don't, I don't even know, like our entire team is remote. We have people in Saskatoon, we have people in Winnipeg and we have people in Calgary. We've all never been in the same room ever. And so you think about the dynamics of building a company with people that you know, through this medium. And so you know, I think there is this incredible opportunity to leverage that opportunity because you can now get further than you've ever been able to before. It is the norm now to do this where it wasn't before. Like you may have not been able to reach someone and connect with the mentor over a video chat because it wasn't normal. They want to have a coffee. They want to sit down and, you know, that takes more time. But now it's like, you, sh you, you, there's two things, right? Like there's a gift and the curse to it because there's a bit of fatigue, but also the ability to open this door is there. You just have to be compelling enough. And that's one of the things I'm challenging myself at Chroma every day is like, we need to deliver value. And my, my experience was always in relationships. And so how do I connect with you? How do I read your body language? How do I like feel your vibe? And I thought I could do that physically in, in, a, in a pretty good manner, but now that's taken away from me. So it's completely been stripped away. And now I need to try to sell and be compelling through a video, which is really challenging, right? And so, you know, this these are the mediums that we're given and you need to figure out how to turn those into your superpowers or at least how to figure out how to connect with people through them. And I think the advantage is now distance is, is irrelevant. Like you could be talking to people in any place, anywhere. And that's what COVID's really allowed us to do is like the remote environment now will always have its place. You know, there's debates of whether or not the office environment ever comes back. I think, you know, we'll, like the future will tell us that. And I, and I believe it will come back. I think there is a need for people to be around each other, but ultimately there will always still be some component of this, I think forever. Like this is a part of our culture now. And I think it'll, you know, you'll, you'll see it ebb and flow, but ultimately it's just more efficient. If I don't have to drop, jump into a plane to go for 24 hours to make an impression and I can do it through this medium and deliver the same message, why wouldn't I do that? And so uh, I think that's the real opportunity is how do you leverage this to get further than you could have ever gotten before? Do you not see your brainstorming capability um, damper of the all on Zoom instead of face to face and even even selling, selling something, selling your ideas over a Zoom call is not the same as as, as face to face. 
Yeah, hundred percent. Like this is like, the, like to me, like if I would tell you that, like what is one of my greatest core skill sets is like I love innovating. I love being in rooms with, with people because I feel like one of the things I I'm good at is pulling the best out of people. So if you put me with the right team, I feel like I can extract the best results. And so like never the smartest guy in the room, but always with the smartest people and being able to hopefully parse together the best result is kind of one of the things I would take pride in. And and you're totally right. I'm I'm now not in that environment. So I'm learning how to actually still do that, but from a distance. And it and it's challenging without question. And you know, it, it you almost have to be so much more intentional because you're not going to collide with someone randomly, at, you know, as you go down to grab a coffee or you go down to go, you know, have a, have a drink of water or you're walking in a hallway, like those moments are gone. And, and, you know, you think about some of the greatest creations and inventions and innovations, oftentimes they don't happen, you know, when we plan a meeting, they happen when you've never had that meeting and it wasn't supposed to be a meeting. And then that yielded into something that could then be built off of. And so I think for sure there, there is an element of that. And, you know, again, it's it's kind of like for me, when those challenges are, are brought to you, it's like, how do you overcome them? Like, what are some of the ways to actually still figure out knowing that that is that that could be a challenge? How do you overcome that challenge? Um, I was actually wondering, um, in terms of uh, the Calgary market, what do you think are some challenges? You know, with um, the pandemic, there are some challenges. Do you think that Calgary has had inherently uh, certain specific challenges that we might not see across the rest of Canada? And how do you think uh, the industry is currently mitigating those or how they should be mitigating them? Yeah, I think I think Calgary and Alberta coming into COVID kind of had their own challenges. Um for, for a various, you know, various number of different reasons, but primarily because we were, we were a heavily based sector driven economy. And I think, um, unfortunately, we have political kind of groups that are pulling in different directions that don't are not aligned in kind of how uh, our city should grow or what our city should look like in the future that makes that even more challenging. And so, you know, I think the city, um, the problems that people talk about the office environment were just obviously exasperated with COVID, right? Like we were, were, we were at a decimated level of vacancies already. And now you throw COVID on top of that and you, you start to wonder whether or not office environments will ever come back. And everyone in North America is thinking about these same problems and, you know, Pinterest walking away from a hundred million dollar fee from their head office in San Francisco makes you really think twice about like, okay, what does the office environment look like? And so, um, you know, I think Calgary's biggest challenge is just the lack of alignment at our leadership level. And so one of the things that, you know, in order to change that, we as, our, we as people need to get activated and mobilized to really direct where we believe the future is. And, you know, I think we have an incredibly well, like, talented um, you know, workforce. I think we have young people that are really driven and eager to stay in this city. And I think we're just well positioned. Like we've been a resilient city for a very long time. And so I, I would tell you that I think Calgary has the ingredients to kind of really take this tech kind of movement that's upon us and really ride it. And I still think this is a wonderful place to live. I, I think the, the real mistake is like, we're, we're, we're really focused on the top part of the spectrum, you know, and so like, I look at it like a pyramid, you know, we're, we're focused on like, how do we get companies to relocate to Calgary? I personally believe like 
the the model is bottom up. It's not top down. If we can get people to choose to live in Calgary because they feel like this is an amazing place to live, then those head offices will choose Calgary because they see people choosing Calgary. But asking like head offices to relocate to a city and bring their people here just to me seems backwards. Like I would rather incentivize growth with our students, with our young people, and then have that be the talent base that attracts head offices to come here and have them be the champions to say, no, we love this city, that we want to stay in this city and we want you to come to this city. And so like, you know, my message is like, let's figure out how to like activate the people that we have here to be our champions, to bring city, to bring companies here. And, you know, with Chroma, that's one of the conversations we have all the time is like, uh, like we're not trying to, you know, we're not trying to sit here and say, okay, well, Calgary has to be the head office because if we're head office here, then people will come here. That's not the case. Like everyone that works at Chroma can choose to live wherever they want. The goal is to say, to have them look at the folks that are living in Calgary, be like, oh man, Calgary looks super sweet. I actually want to live in Calgary. You know, it's affordable. The the mountains are close. Like the downtown scene is amazing. The food scene's amazing. The music is amazing. The culture's amazing. And I think that's that's the revitalization strategy is like, how do we bring amazing culture back to our city and in our downtown core? Because I think that's where you'll see the vibrancy. And then that's what you'll see companies and people relocate for. So what do you what do you think needs to happen more in Calgary then? What, what needs to accelerate? To, to bring in more talent that retain talent honestly like our, our our central business district obviously was built for office towers right so like when you think about what is the entertainment and culture and arts look like in our downtown business district it's kind of it's null right like we didn't have to do anything because we had massive oil and gas companies that were paying high tax rates and that were all working there and then kind of going to you know whatever highs or caesars or whatever and having dinner and it was good like it was great it worked but now we're in a different place and and that's not the culture anymore and that's not what's attracting you know the different demographics that 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 are looking for things they're looking for different things like you know for me like i have a young family like am i going to take my kids into downtown today there isn't really a lot of options. I'll take them to East Village. I'll take them to, you know, Inglewood or I'll take them to the Beltline, but core downtown, like that doesn't exist. And so, you know, I would say like, if we continue to invest in the arts and the culture and like the public amenity space, like that's what's going to attract and make people want to live in this city. I think that's what's going to create that vibrancy. And you think about like, you know, Folk Fest when it comes back or when you think about Sled Island when it comes back, like those things like reverberate, right? And they go a long way for this city. And I think like if I if I had, you know, the opportunity to say, this is where I would invest any kind of economic development funding. It would be, you know, in students, arts and culture. And I think that's where all of our money should go, quite frankly. It's big. What about all the, what about all the office towers? What do you think? What's, what's going to happen yeah. with all the things? I, I, I don't know. I think you guys have talked to probably smarter people than me about that. Like, um, I think that, you know, it, it's, it's a challenge, I think, without question. But, but I do believe, like most, that you know, we're going to crave wanting to be around one another again. Like that, that's without question. Like I'm feeling cooped up. I'm tired of not seeing people. You just talked about innovation being, you know, more tangible when you're next to each other. And that's when great ideas are. So I think there will always be a place. I just think they have to be more dynamic and they are like, you look at what Aspen is doing uh, in all of their places. It's about creating flexibility. It's about creating kind of this modularity. It's creating kind of uh, the, this kind of blurred lines between which office you work for and they're thinking about amenities and all of those things. And so you can start to see the trend shift towards lifestyle and not necessarily towards office. And I think that's where we're going to see a lot of that movement is like, how do you live? Not necessarily how do you work? And that's what will become 
of a lot of those buildings and not saying they'll become residential towers, they'll just become more robust in their offerings that, you know, I think I saw something about like a Scandinavian spa taking up like levels in a downtown building. Well, there you go. Like that's an example of transformation that starts to take place in those spaces. Do you think there might be um, other types of tra transformation across the city because of the pandemic? Maybe people wanting to be closer to each other. Do you think that might affect uh, further than just the office buildings? And if so, like what changes do you think might be seen even just from uh, the end of the city? Do you think they might be more willing to open up more parks or just aspects as, as such? Yeah, I, I know a lot of the movement um, was focused on Early on in the pandemic, people were wondering if sprawl was going to all of a sudden grow because people don't want to live close together. And there was this fear that like COVID was getting perpetuated in bigger cities with higher densities. And so everyone was like, oh, man, we're going to go back to like a sprawling city. And naturally, I, I don't believe that for the same reasons of like, what does a great community consist of? You know, it doesn't consist of people living as far away from from each other as possible in a remote space. Like that's not what building great communities historically has looked like. And you know, sprawl happened for a reason. It had its place in time. And honestly, like that's one of the biggest things we're thinking about at Chroma is like, how do we actually connect people? Like, how do we create a more sense of belonging in terms of community and who you are? And how do we, you know, bring more value into your life? Even you know, we're really focused on renters and kind of the renter landlord relationship an owner relationship, but there's this like massive opportunity. I think um, you guys had uh, the the Brookfield CEO on here. I can't remember his name, excuse me. But anyways, he, he had said something about like 70%, uh, they did a study and 70% of people were too afraid to ask their neighbors for a cup of sugar. Well, so you hear those stats and like we're building these communities where people don't know each other. And so like, I think like, and again, that's why I'm really excited about the work that we're doing at Chroma because it's really focused on how do we create better environments for renters? How do we make people feel more connected and start to fight some of those social isolation issues? And I think I'd said this before, but like the one thing that kind of bothers me about a lot of the technological advancements we've seen is like, it's created isolation. It's created so much convenience that you never have to leave. And so you get Skip, you get Amazon, you get Netflix, you get Disney, you get all this shit. And you're like, man, I never have to leave my house because I'm pretty sweet. And it's like, well, well, that's not the point. The point is like to help create convenience and save you time, but you're losing the ability to kind of meaningfully connect with people. And so COVID's kind of like, you know, exasperated that because we want to be safe or staying away from people. And so I really believe there's going to be this sense of like, you know, eagerness and belonging that all of us are going to want and and to restore. And, and I think that's going to be, you know, an incredible opportunity to like creating sense of place and creating places where you can connect more frequently. Yeah. I was actually wondering, um, just for the listeners out there that aren't too familiar with uh, what you're doing with Chroma, can you tell us a little bit about where that kind of started, that idea of getting started with Chroma and uh, pretty much what prompted you to get started there? Yeah. So, you know, sometimes I don't even know what we're doing because tech moves so fast. So one of the things I would say is like, what, you know, I had met um, Miles Shedden uh, and Riley Pickerel. Miles was the VP of global operations at Skip and Riley was the VP of engineering. We'd met like 15 months ago. And um, he kind of told me what they were, you know, they were potentially looking at doing something. We got introduced by an acquaintance and I kind of was talking about you know, what I thought the future of, of, you know, renting potentially could look like. And they were really focused on kind of like the, the operational side of it, like really, really smart, you know, 
what they did at Skip, how they built tools to create efficiencies. And so, you know, we had met and the first time we had met, I was like, oh, seems like a nice guy, obviously incredibly smart, um, but just like not a ton of alignment. And then he called me back and he was like, you know what? Like one of the things that I was like really confused about was like you had said things to me that were so different that I never thought would ever be possible. And I had to take a few months to digest that to realize like that's what innovation looks like. So although I don't, you know, we still didn't know if anything I said would ever be able to kind of transition into anything tangible. What was exciting was like, you know, I was thinking about things for them that were things that they were not even on the radar at the time. And so we kind of formulated an idea and started the company. And we knew we wanted to play kind of in the landlord kind of tenant relationship space. And so that was the whole thing. And, you know, I, with, with Round Square, we were starting to build a lot more purpose-built multi-rent, multi-residential mixed-use housing in established neighborhoods. And so we're in Calgary, we're in Winnipeg. We have about a thousand units that we're working on right now over the course of the next five to seven years. And I was like, man, I don't think you could kind of build yourself out of this problem. Like, we can never build enough units to service the type of impact that I wanted to have. And so with Chroma, it was like, if we can solve this problem and convince other people that the problem is an industry problem, then we could make a huge impact. And so, you know, I decided to kind of move out of Rand Square day to day and, and join Riley and Miles. And so, you know, we, we really honed in on like, how do we create the most value for landlords and tenants? And so originally we thought, you know, okay, the landlords control the marketplace, they own the properties, they own the resources, they'll be able to pay us for the services and try to solve their problems. And then you realize, like everyone has said to you guys, and I'm like, I'm sure you'll continue to hear it, like the real estate industry is our dinosaurs. And so even when you find inefficiencies in their business, they're like, well, I don't care what you have to say, like, I'm already worth a billion dollars. And so like, it's cool that you think you can solve my problems, but I think I've done a pretty good job of that. And you're like, yeah, yeah, I guess you have, like, you're right. Like, I guess it's worked. And so like, maybe I can't fix your problems. And so, you know, we, we kind of ran into the situation where we're meeting with a bunch of owners who were interested, but felt like they were good. Like they were good where they were at and they weren't running into these bigger issues. And so we're like, no, that can't be right. And so, you know, we went out and, you know, we interviewed about 300 renters and really tried to understand the renter perspective. Like, what are the problems that you guys are facing? What are some of the challenges that you're seeing? And so, you know, we, we've kind of, we've, we've kind of shifted our focus in terms of saying, okay, we are renter, we are renter centric. We're going to solve renter problems. And if we can successfully solve those renter problems, we think they're going to solve the landlord problems anyways. And so, you know, fundamentally, one of the biggest gaps that we see, and it's kind of crazy is like, especially for students, or, you know, you think about new immigrants is when you're renting, it's the absolute largest cost in the living expense that you have, but you get no credit for it, nor do you get to capture your history. And so we saw those as two real simple fundamental things that, you know, any, any student is going to want and any person that wants, you know, to continue renting and continue their journey is going to want. And so Chroma is like really starting at the renter level about okay, how do we create value for renters, which we think in turn will create value for owners. And some of the fundamentals are about like, okay, how do we make sure, you know, you built credit? How do you make sure you get to take your history with you? And then how do we connect ancillary services uh, for being a renter, you know, and doing it well for a long time that can benefit you. And so you think about, you know, we get to scale, we have 10,000 residents on our platform. Well, we automatically believe we can offer more value. And whether that be through, you know, whatever cell phones, car insurance, you know, better loan debts, whatever that might be, but connecting you with 
partners that you can trust through the Chroma platform. And so that's kind of like how we're building the platform today. Um, and, you know, we're, we're in works of working with different kind of public service groups. We have some, some bigger private REITs that we're hoping to kind of bring on and really start to figure out how we can deliver more value for their residents. So it's that triangle again of working at the bottom first and then seeing an effect go up. That's awesome. Totally. Yeah. And I think it's just because like you can't bring change onto an industry from people who don't feel like they have a problem. And so then you find the people who feel like they have a problem and say, oh shit, yeah, we, you can help us. And then if they, if they are, you know, they talk amongst themselves, they start to talk about the app and they all feel like this is a problem, then you bring change onto the industry, regardless if it accepted it or not. And so they no longer can kind of hold the keys to the industry. Is that how your day-to-day looks like or week-to-week is, is selling the idea um, to, to these big to these big companies? Um, because if, if you want to formalize um, the, the credit history and uh, the, the background checks to make sure that they have this under the, the, the renters, they, they pay rent, they have that under their belt, um, it sounds like you have to go big on a big system. Yeah. So two things. I think I think there's two strategies for us. There's one, we want to get a big person in who is aligned and understands the future and where the industry could go so they can kind of benefit from being an early adopter. Uh, the other thing is like, we think there is a B2C market here where even if a landlord chooses in the future not to partake, that a resident will still partake because they will see the value in it and they will force their landlord to partake. And because we're making the friction so minimal, that we're not introducing heavy friction to either sides. Like we're really focused on what is the customer journey lifecycle look like today? How do we basically transplant that and just bring it onto our platform? So nothing changes for anybody. And our job in order to get paid is to deliver more value. So it's not saying, oh, just because you use a platform, we charge you. It's like, no, we want to encourage you to use the platform so we can make money. And if you decide there's no value in the platform, then we don't get paid. And so, yeah, my, my day today is basically, you know, the only thing you do at a startup and you do it kind of 24 hours a day is you build and sell and that's it. That's all you're focused on. And so you're trying to build the right solutions. You're, you're reiterating, you're measuring, you're learning, you're rebuilding, and then you're selling and you're selling to investors, you're selling to part, strategic partners and you're selling to future clients. And so you're, you're trying to craft that vision and, and the one thing in tech that, you know, I'm learning is like things move very quickly. And so, you know, a month or two months or six months at, at a real estate firm is like, is, is what we go through in one week. Like, you know, on Monday, we're adamant that it's going to look like this. And by Friday, it's something completely different. And so you're like, you know, you're going through decks every single day and you're, you're repositioning them and you're re-angling them because you realize that this resonated better than this and this shouldn't be this. And there's really you know, we're such a small team, you're doing everything. So you have to be able to kind of write your comms, build your deck, present your deck, take your notes, you know, share your notes with your product team and, and your team to figure out how to actually execute on, on some of those things that you're learning. Um, and so I would say like, it's I, funny enough, like I'm the oldest guy and in real estate, I'm usually the youngest guy, but I'm the oldest guy now in the room. And so, and I'm also like the guy that's the least technical. So, you know, usually I'm the guy that understands technology that better than everybody and where I'm at in my industry. And now it's like, 
man, I don't even know how to use those tools. Like, what are we talking about? What does that do? And so it's, um, it's very challenging and it's very uncomfortable, but it's like, it's really cool for me because I haven't been challenged or felt like that in a very long time because, you know, a lot of what I've learned and been trained in has been in real estate and human behavior and urban design. Uh, urban for me has been kind of, you know, what I've really honed in on and understanding human behavior, how people move, how do vehicles move, how do you actually transform a building to create any sense of community? And so that's kind of my background. And now trying to transplant that into a technology company has been has been quite the journey. What do you have in the engineering and the design of the platform or do you delegate? So um, like I uh, so we have a CTO, we have a product manager. And basically what I try to do is, um, you know, be able to give them information that's valuable to them. Um, to execute on. And so Miles is, is a CTO. He's a, one of the co-founders. It's myself, him and Riley. Um, you know, I, I like to focus more on the high level vision kind of brand marketing side of things, which we're not doing a lot of today, but, you know, really it's, it's under like understanding the industry's needs and then us building the right product for them and, and finding the right solution. And so really we're, we're talking a lot about like, what are the problems not what are your problems, not like what are you prescribing the problems to be to us? We'll listen to that, but it's more about understanding the root problem, like go deeper. And so we're always talking about like, you know, first principle thinking is like, how do we understand what the root problems are and then try to figure out what a solution may or may not look like. Speaking of the technological advances, what do you think is going to happen in terms of say, uh, brokers do you think with the technology advancements they might die off or do you think that there will be a maybe a shift or a transition how do you think that's going to be you know upheld in terms of in the market how are people going to deal with that yeah it's interesting like you know real estate is a highly regulated environment and typically those highly regulated environments are put into place to kind of help avoid disruption. And so like highly regulated environments for technology are the most exciting because that means that they're ripe for disruption. And so um, I think the industry will change without a question. I just don't know how fast and what that might look like, right? Because um, we still have taxis. Uh, you'll always have taxis. It feels like even if you'll have Uber. And so like, how does that shift kind of look like, you know, we still have hotels, but you still have Airbnb who's taken over, you know, it was worth more than a bunch of those guys combined. And so that's how I kind of see this happening is like, that will never go away. That'll always have its place. But I do believe something else is coming and the impact will be significant. In the entrepreneurial ecosystem, what, um, what's in more demand engineers or business, business people, visionary mindsets? Hmm. Yeah. So it's a, it's a great question, right? Cause it, it really depends on, it depends on, on what you're trying to do, like to be a technology company and not have someone who's absolutely um, ingrained and understands what it takes to build a product is pretty difficult, right? Like I don't know of very many um, visionaries who didn't have a technical capacity to deliver on a technology product. And so you think about like Musk, for example, like Musk is a, is a visionary, but he's also a fucking genius, right? Like he's, he's an engineer by trade and he's got this in, insane vision and belief, but he also can do it, right? Like 
you know, he wanted to build rockets and they told him like, oh yeah, no, you can't do that. Like you're going to, so he's like, okay, I'll go buy the rockets. And then no one would sell him the rockets. So he's like, you know, whatever, I'm just going to build my own rockets. And like, I, I can't do that. I don't have the skill set to build a rocket, but like, you know, and so that, that, that's kind of the thing that I think about is like, it depends what your interests are. Like the, the, the entrepreneurial spirit is something that like, you know, you can, you can learn. Uh, I think you can learn to become a great entrepreneur. You can, you can build those uh, and you can also build the skills to understand how to, you know, build technology. And so um I think there's there's a blend of both that's needed and and you know the vision of things are are absolutely great. You need people that have vision that are creatives that are innovatives, but you also need to have the capacity to execute and execute well. And so simply having a vision or an idea doesn't really mean a lot. It's like do you have the wherewithal to take uh what it takes to execute? Would you uh would you say that uh entrepreneurial students should equip themselves with that technology advancement and learn it? Or do you think that sometimes it's better to outsource? Yeah, so again, like uh, you're catching me at a time where I'm like questioning myself in these things, right? Cause I'm like, oh man, I wish I, I, wish I knew a little bit more about this. Um, and so I would say like, this is a tough one for me cause I've generally really tried to, um, I've generally really veered towards what I'm good at. And I think we all do that, right? Like once you find what you're good at, you, 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 you really try to define that craft and really try to get great at that. And you're honed into it. And it also makes you feel the best because you get told that you're great at that. And so you continue to kind of build on that. But what I think is like where the opportunity lies is to, to build the fundamentals about those other things. Right. So to understand some of those other things that you're interested in, like I'll give you an example, like I hate finance. I hate accounting. Uh, um, I remember taking accounting 317 and just being like, as soon as I'm done this class, the most exciting thing for me will be being done with this class. And so like, I despised it so much. I wanted nothing to do with it after the fact. And so I didn't really retain much. And that was the same for stats. Like I remember stats. Uh, I think it was like, well, I don't even remember the number, but I hated statistics. And so like, there's this opportunity to say, you know, this is what I'm great at, but I'm going to understand. I understand the fundamentals in this. And that's essentially what I try to do is like, I try to understand the fundamentals in those things, but I don't want to be the person who's putting those things together or making the best decisions about those things, because there's other people that love that as much as I love this. And so if I can continue to be great at this and hone my skills at this and show them I'm great at this, I'll be able to prove value. But I think you just can't not understand those things. You have to understand the fundamentals of those things. And so, you know, like if you want to be a part of a tech company one day, you don't have to learn how to be an engineer, build tools, but you need to be able to understand those tools and understand how to sell that tool and how it functions and be able to kind of loosely speak to some of the things that work in technology. And so that would be my advice is like, still do what you're great at because it's going to make you the happiest. And then just make sure that you don't, you know, despise those other things as much as I did and kind of try to avoid them because ultimately like to be a well-rounded entrepreneur, you want to be able to say that I understand all of those things. And, you know, the greatest entrepreneurs in my mind are the ones that surround themselves with the best teams. And so people that are smarter than them, you know, in certain places to be able to get to that ultimate goal and deliver that best experience. In terms of, um, uh, aspiring real estate players, um, how can, to what extent should they, um, surround themselves in, in technology? What kind of technology should they look into and what kind of technology is maybe too much in terms of developing their technical skill set? 
especially in, especially in, in a real estate context? Yeah, like, you know, I, I don't know if there's any like tech tools that I would point to, but I mean, there's, there's just great readings out there. Like there's great sources available that talk about um, successful tech entrepreneurs or tech startups or, or, you know, tech companies that have leveraged certain things to build these amazing examples. Like Paul Graham is, is one of those, like Y Combinator is another example resource that talk about all these people that have done these amazing things or have built these amazing tools. And he's written these essays about like his experiences and kind of all the founders that he's seen. And so you kind of start to see like patterns and in, in, in how these guys have kind of developed or honed, honed their skills. And so you know, I wouldn't say there's there's any one tool, but what I would say is like technology, like in my mind, like it's not like the energy sector, it's not oil and gas, it's not stagnant, and nor do I think it's going away. And so like if I was coming out of being a student, thinking about my career, I would say it's highly likely that you will interface some sort of technology. And the more that you know about it, the more you'll be empowered to succeed. Like I think I read yesterday, there's 2000 tech jobs available right now in Calgary. And the reality is, is like, those are not all software engineering jobs. Like our product manager today, uh, his background was in actuarial science. Like he's not a technology guy. Like he's never written, he had never written a ticket before that, but he's absolutely brilliant. And he's like, you know, he's relentless in trying to figure out, you know, what does product look like, understanding how does it interface, but he doesn't, he doesn't know tech. He couldn't write a piece of code of his life depended on it. But, you know, and so this is, this is kind of my word of advice to his students is like, once you get yourself in the door at some of those firms, the incredible amount of learning that you can learn from being around those folks, connecting with other people, you know, best startups start up from other companies that they work that together. And so those are incredible opportunities. And, you know, you be, you could be an analyst, you could be a product manager, you could be a sales rep, like those companies need to run an entire business. They don't just need to run technology is kind of the building side. Then there's the execution side, there's the selling side. And so all that comes together um, to kind of provide that product experience to customers. And so, you know, my, my advice would be like, you know, I say this to architecture students all the time, like you guys understand the human mindset better than a lot of people. And that doesn't just apply to the physical built form environment that applies to so many other things. And so don't, don't ever just pigeonhole yourself to be like, Oh, I'm an architect. I'm an, I'm an architecture. I'm going to be an architect. It's like, no, you could actually be a bunch of different people. You just need to know how to apply that to different sectors. You uh, keep mentioning reading. Um, what are some ways that you get your uh, creative juices going? Do you say that reading is one of those? Would you, what type of outlets do you take? Yeah, it's funny. So um, I've been, I've been reading and, and podcasting a lot more. So listening to a lot of people, um, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm a visual learner too. Like I love, I love looking at things. And so oftentimes I digest information just from looking at things. Like, you know, I, I oftentimes don't even read, like, I'll just look. And, and to me, like looking is really, really inspiring for me. And so like traveling, obviously pre pre pandemic was, was really, really cool for me. Cause you get to actually like feel those environments. Um, but yeah, um, there, there, there's this kid in Montreal. He's not a kid now, I guess, cause he's my age, but, uh, he started a blog called, um, JJJ Jown. And so, uh, this blog, you know, was started pre Tumblr. Uh, like it was basically a blog where, his name is Justin uh, Saunders and, you know, I was lucky enough to meet him, but his blog was just photos. And so it was like the endless photo. 
And I remember like spending days where I would just like be like, oh man, like these are so cool. And it's just so well curated. Like he did such an excellent job. And um, he eventually got hired, you know, from by Kanye West in like 2005. And he's been on his payroll for 15 years. And I remember when I was in Montreal and I kind of had coffee with him, I just reached out to him. He's like, yeah, happy to connect. And we were both into fashion. And, you know, I, I had a fashion company here and just knew mutual friends. And there, there was a skate brand that was kind of starting to grow in Montreal called Dime anyway. So we met up and I'm like, he kind of told me that um, one of the things that he did for Kanye uh, was they would just communicate via Dropbox and via images. And so he would be, Kanye would add a folder of like a certain subject and said like, whatever, salsa. And Justin's job was essentially to curate images around salsa for Kanye. And so he would never talk to him. He's like, for, for a year, they wouldn't chat, but he would just post these like inboxes of like, send me gyms. And so that Justin would go out. And so what he really appreciated about Justin was just his canning ability to kind of put together photos of a certain aesthetic and style. And so it was always up to Justin to kind of compose those photos in these Dropboxes folders. And I was just like, holy, that's amazing. And so, you know, you hear stories like that about how other people kind of get creative inspiration. And so since that day, I remember being like, man, I'm just going to look at images all the time if that's what Kanye does. And that's when like, you know, Kanye, Kanye was on the top of the world at the time. And, and so that, that was uh, super cool. Um, what would you say really differentiates you from other people, but also what are some things that you think, um, you know, as students, we should really take into account? I know you talk a lot about um, kind of assuming and taking that aspect of state entrepreneurship or whatever you're good at. Um, how do you think students can achieve that? Because it certainly does take some time. What do you think maybe some factors that helped you reach that? And how do you think other students might be able to achieve that? Yeah, um, super great question. Um, so, you know, my, uh, my upbringing and my kind of culture really, really shaped who I am as a person. And so what I mean by that is like my parents were immigrants. I grew up in a, in a community where like there was only three colored people in a classroom. Um, you know, I grew up in a part of the city at, at the time that wasn't overly like, you know, safe or, or was like perceived to kind of be the hood. And so like, I grew up in this environment where, um, you know, we, we felt like we never had anything and we were never, nothing was given to us. And so everything was earned or taken. And, you know, I'd seen examples of what taken looked like, and I had seen examples of what earned looked like. And so, um, you know, part of me growing up, I always felt like, um, and again, like as a, as a, as a nineties hip hop head, like listening and digesting that music, it just kind of always inspired me to feel like, you know, you have nothing to lose. Like, what what is the worst outcome for me? And the, and I would always look at what the worst outcome for me for taking risks look like. And so I basically always told myself like my parents went through some of the worst trials and tribulations, like migrating over as refugees and like you know the stories that I'd heard about like picking up having to leave kind of in the middle of the night, um, you know. And so I just really at a young age realized like you, you have to take risks uh, and you have to be bold and 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 so you know, again, my, my mom, my mom really instilled that in me as a kid was, was to take risks, be bold and never think that anything was ever unachievable. And so that was like a real clear message for me really early on was that, um, that I was going to try to do whatever I could. And, you know, th that continues to stay with me today, almost to kind of like, to the antithesis of it. And if that's the right word where I'm just like, I don't know how to stop because I'm just super inspired and excited by everything. And I just feel like nothing is unapproachable. So 
you know, a lot of people talk about finding these levels of contentment or just like relaxation, but I'm always like thinking about, oh, like what's next, what's on, like, how do we do this? Or what does that look like? Or, you know, and so oftentimes, you know, part of, part of the challenges for me was like, never left time for celebration. Cause I never knew, I never, I feared content, right? Like I always wanted to put myself back into that place of like, oh shit, like this is really nerve wracking. Like, should we have done this? Is this the next right move? And it's like self-inflicted because I'm always like looking for that kind of next. And so, um, you know, that that's the ambition in me and that, that kind of desire to always want to do, you know, something else that's going to be more impactful. But like what's really separated me in the last five years for me that I've seen is like, you know, not being afraid to be authentically yourself. So like in the past, I'd be afraid to talk about who I am or show up the way I do or dress the way I do or talk about the things that that I enjoy. But luckily, like culture and the city and things have moved that like, I feel confident to to dress and show up the way I want to show up. And I think now more so than ever, people are appreciating that level of authenticity where I don't have to be like you uh, to be able to be looked at as a counterpart or to deliver the right message or the right medium. Uh, and if you don't like the way I show up, then then that's your problem. It's not necessarily my problem. And so, you know, I've really taken that to to being one of the things that I've been really proud of is like, you know, being authentic about who I want to be and then just deeply passionate about like understanding, you know, city building, impacting folks. How do I make the right impact? Like that's what gets me excited today. It's not necessarily about, you know, wealth creation or, or success or what other people think about me. It's about, you know, do I think that this thing is going to be the most impactful? And if it is, am I prepared to make those sacrifices and put myself out there, you know, on these forums? Because at the end of the day, like no matter how inspired, you know, majority people may or may not be, there's going to be people or it's going to be like, oh, fuck, Al was annoying. Like he's always talking about himself. I've heard this story enough times. And, and I think like, you know, cause I catch myself saying that about people at times, but the reality of it is like, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that I'm providing insight to people that, you know, can hopefully they can take these lessons, get inspired and then do something significantly greater. Because like I said, I don't feel like there's nothing any of us can't do. And so, um, you know, it, it is, there's always that fear about putting yourself out there. But for me, it's like to overcome that, you just have to know that, you know, you're being who you want to be and, and you're really believe in what you're talking about. So. I've been following you along your journey ever since uh, I actually, uh, I was able to see you in person at a lunch and learn a few years ago and uh, at the University of Calgary. And I thought everything that you spoke about was so inspiring. And ever since then, I've just tried to follow your journey, you know, uh, see what you've been doing and seeing what, uh, you know, Round Square has been doing as well. Uh, I really think that you've had an impact uh, on the community in Calgary and especially on students. I think it's been really inspiring. Um, I wanted to know if you wanted to have any any closing words or any closing mentions for students before we go. Yeah, I mean, um, like I said, for me, for me, um, the biggest thing I think that I, I'd love to get across is that, like, you know, uh, the it's hard work first and foremost. So be, be prepared to put in the time, and then and when you find the thing that you love, it'll still be work. It'll just be a consequence of sacrifice, right? Like, so you know, for me. I don't, um, I don't see myself working all the time because I just, I'm so inspired by what it is that I get to do. And so, you know, there's times where unfortunately, like, I don't, I don't get to go out to hang out with my friends or drink beer at the pub or like whatever they do all the time. And I'm, I like, I have two priorities. It's like, I want to make a huge impact 
Uh, and I want, I want that impact to kind of support people and hopefully they make even greater impacts. And so that's like one of my objectives. And so anything that I work on is really focused on that. And the second thing is like, I just want to be an inspiring person for, for my daughters, like, you know, being able to grow up around two, two women is like really cool. Three women with my wife. And so like having two girls is like, how do I be the best figure possible for them and inspire them the most? And so that, that's probably the hardest thing for me in my life is like, when you think about balance is like, how do I be the best dad I possibly can be or the best husband, uh, but as well, you know, be, be the, the best entrepreneur or the, be, be the best kind of um, inspiring person for other people. And so, you know, it means a lot to me that, that you feel like you've gotten some value out of these conversations. And I would just, you know, my, 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 my parting words are like, I just feel like you guys have incredible opportunity and you're at this incredible place where, you know, you're starting to see some, 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 some incredible stories about growth technology, how things change so incredibly fast. And you guys are equipped with these tools uh, and you're agile and mobile enough to kind of really understand how to, how to maneuver those. And you're looking at the world from this different perspective. And I just think you guys have an incredible opportunity. And I know some people are like, oh yeah, like, you know, we'll never be able to do what, you know, this person did because at that time, the circumstances allowed that. But I just believe like, there's no truth in that. Like, if, you know, if Facebook would have believed that there would never be another Microsoft, then we would never have a Facebook, you know what I mean? So I just think you guys are, are, are innovators and you're creative and just don't, don't ever limit yourself in thinking you can't accomplish the things you're, you're hoping to accomplish. So that, that's it. Thank you so much for sitting down with us and having that conversation today. Uh, uh, it was a really great time and uh, everything that you have to mention is so insightful every time. It's it's really great to hear about everything that you're doing and everything that you're uh, you're doing forward in the community in Calgary and, and everywhere else in technology now too. So you uh, were really appreciative of you taking your time today to do that with us. So yeah, thank you so much. No worries. Thanks guys. Yeah, appreciate it. It was great meeting you both. Awesome. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Yeah. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please subscribe to the Real Estate Student Podcast and share with your friends.